So, praise the Lord. Lesson 71, My Time Flies. And we're looking at our book, at the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 23. We're right at the end of 23. And Yeshua has been speaking to the Pharisees, and he's been pronouncing these seven woes. He's about to pronounce the last of the seven, as we're going to pick up today in verse 29. And in these woes, Yeshua is calling the Pharisees on their behavior. He's told them over and over as we've gone through this that they're hypocrites. And now we start the reading this week. It's important to keep in mind the setting that they're in. We're in the temple of God. This is the area where also is located the courts of the Sanhedrin. There are two courts in, this, in the temple, the higher court and a lower court within the walls of this temple complex. And these are the Jewish rulers in Israel. The point being that he's confronting not so much just Pharisees, but really the rulers of the land. And it's also the week of Passover. And so these men are on high alert at this gathering of people. They're to keep the people under control. They're responsible to Rome for keeping peace in the land. And this all adds up to mean that we're just a short while before the death of Yeshua. It will be this very Sanhedrin that will arrest him and send him to Pilate. It will be at their shouts of crucify him that Pilate will sentence Yeshua to death. The Sanhedrin sentenced him to die a criminal's death with the intention that he be laid to rest in a dump where they dumped the bodies of criminals who were unworthy of being buried. Yeshua, had it not been for Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, would have been taken to the valley of Hinnon and dumped there in a fire that burned continually. This is what they did with the bodies of those who died who weren't worthy because of their sin to be buried. And certainly when you think about it, this would have been the fate of one who had been accused of blasphemy and sorcery. This valley of Hinnon was called Gehenna. It's the word that's used for hell. And Yeshua is calling the very men of this religious system who will put him to death hypocrites. And as we pick up in verse 29, he tells, he's going to speak of the final proof and the most important proof, as we're going to see, that they are just exactly what he said, hypocrites. You know, I said over and over as we looked at these woes that Yeshua is really pronouncing the woes on their behavior and not on the men themselves, not on all Pharisees. And I tried to show that with each of these woes that the behavior still exists in the church today. He could just as easily say it to church leaders. But with this final woe, Yeshua is going to get real personal with these men. And in verse 29 of chapter 23, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your fathers. Forefathers. So Yeshua reminds the Pharisees that it was their fathers who were the ones who killed the prophets. He alludes to it here, and then in verse 37, he states it plainly. He says, You who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. 
Now, we don't know exactly how many prophets of God were slain in the economy of Israel, but Elijah at one time said, I'm the only one left. And all the others had been slain. Not only that, just recently at at this time of Yeshua, Yochanan the Immerser, John the Baptist was slain. We can look at the history and the traditions for the more famous prophets who were slain like Isaiah, Amos, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were all slain. But you have to understand there were many more, many who were not so well known. And these prophets all prophesied of the coming of the Holy One of God, the Messiah. In fact, Isaiah prophesied of the events that are going to happen in the next few days in in chapter 52 and 53 of his book, telling us that Messiah would have to suffer and die. And so Yeshua says you build tombs, and it would be more accurate if we said more than just tombs, if we could say monuments, monumental type tombs for the prophets. And you decorate the tombs of the righteous and say, oh, we would have never taken part in their deaths. Now, let me ask you, why would they build monuments? Well, if you wanted to be relieved of the guilt of your forefathers, and they're slain of the prophets. One way you could do that is, is build places, build monuments to these men, showing your respect for these men. The problem is, as you build the monuments, the problem with that is that as you do that, you bring to mind what happened to these prophets and who killed these prophets. And that leaves you with having to answer for their death and in the end say, look, we, we built this monument because we love and respect for these prophets of God. And we would have never taken part in that. Now these men, they claim they had no part in such things. And to that Yeshua says, you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. You testify. That monument testifies to that fact. And when we read this, we think Yeshua means that they're in the lineage, or we would think that they were the literal fathers and Uh, They were their literal fathers. But when it says sons, that's not what he really means here. It's not what he really means. Remember earlier when he was criticizing the Pharisees for their proselytizing, he said, you make Gentiles twice as much of a son of hell as you are. That didn't mean they were actually literal sons of hell. He meant that you make their behavior as a son of hell. You turn them into more of an adversary of God than you are. In other words, in the context of what he said, he means they go out and make it harder for others to enter the kingdom of heaven than you do. You see, the task of the adversary of God is to keep as many out of the kingdom as he can. He wants the gates of hell to be bursting open with souls. And so it was in that sense that they were the sons of hell. Another example, Shaul calls Gentiles who've come to know the Messiah sons of Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, verse 16, he says, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. You see, when we accept Yeshua, we become sons of Abraham. He's our father, not because we're related to him, as some would have you believe, Not because we're related to him through blood, but because we show the same characteristic of faith that Abraham had. You accept Messiah by faith just as Abraham accepted Messiah by faith. 
Abraham knew Yeshua and accepted him and accepted his coming. John tells us that in chapter 5, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You see, Abraham accepted Messiah's coming by faith, and you accept Messiah's coming by faith. So sons, in this sense, means that you are the children in character. Another example, uh, in the words of Yeshua, in John chapter 8, he says, these men say to him, Abraham is our father, they answered. Yeshua says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things that your own father does. He tells them, if they were the sons of Abraham, they would be doing the things that Abraham did. You would display his character. But as it is, you're going to kill me, something Abraham would never do. But the rulers of the age would love to do. So you are the sons in character of the ruler of this age, not Abraham. You know, we have a saying that says much the same thing if you think about it. We say, like father, like son. When the son's behavior is so reminiscent of the father's. So it's in this sense that Yeshua calls them sons. He says, and then he says, fill up the measure of the sin of your fathers. And they will do exactly that in just a few days. They'll complete what their father started by killing the prophets. They will fill up that measure in a few days as they put to death the prophet like Moses, the one that those prophets prophesied and spoke of. Even in the Talmud, they take credit for it. I found in Sanhedrin 43a, it, was, it says this. On the eve of Passover, Yeshu was hanged. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald went forth and cried, he's going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel into apostasy. Anyone who can say anything in his favor, let him come forward and plead on his behalf. But since nothing was brought forward in his favor, he was hanged on the eve of Passover. Yeshu is not Yeshua's name. It's a derogatory word that they call Yeshua. And notice what he's accused of in the Talmud, sorcery. You see, his final resting place had it not been for, for Nicodemus and for, for uh, Joseph, would have been the Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna. What Yeshua is saying is that they say they would not have taken part in their, what their fathers did in slaying the prophets, but again, they're hypocrites because in just a short while, they're going to set their hand against the prophet. They're going to put to death the one the other prophets proclaimed. And indeed, so indeed, they are the sons of those who killed the prophets, in that they are going to do exactly the same thing. So in killing the Messiah that the prophets spoke of, the Redeemer they said was coming, they will fill up the measure of their forefathers. In verse 33, Yeshua says, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to Gehenna? To hell. This is said in the sense that if they continue, if you continue on the path you're on, if you continue in the woes that Yeshua has pronounced, if they continue in their hypocrisy, if they continue in their rejection of the Messiah, 
then how will they escape the condemnation of hell? How will they escape Gehenna? How will they escape when the judgment comes and they're judged to be sons of Gehenna? Think about it. What is hell? You know, I was thinking about this this week. What is hell? In, in Hebrew, as I said, it's Gehenna, and it's a place where the bodies of the wicked were burned because they were too evil to be buried. A place where in a few days the Sanhedrin hopes Yeshua is going to be placed. The Bible says God judges measure for measure. And so Yeshua says, if you continue, how will you escape Gehenna? The Gehenna Yeshua says they're going to receive is what they intended for him. However, while these two Gehennams are similar in that there are places of burning, the one that Yeshua speaks of lasts a little bit longer. So again, ask yourself, what is hell? You know, there's a lot of focus on hell in the church today. One of the things that troubles me about the church is that the preachers, in their search for larger numbers in the pews, are watering down the Bible. And they're watering it down with humanism. And you hear it all the time. We take the concept of a loving God and we define his love according to our own morals. Our own definition. God is a God of love. So let's put rainbow flags out in front of our church. Invite everybody in. God is a God of love and his commandments, well, you know, they're just suggestions. And you know, really, they were for the Israelites because we're much more advanced in our thinking than they were, so they really don't apply to us. They were only for those primitives. Someone told me this week that they heard the Pope had said the redemption that is available to all, that redemption is available to all, not just to Catholics, but even to atheists. Everyone, do good, and we'll be with one another in heaven. And so the Pope says, even atheists are going to heaven. Others write books, I don't know if you've seen any of them, there is no hell, they say. You see, the idea of an eternal judgment is not something that's attractive to our humanistic world, the humanistic world that we live in. So we say hell doesn't really exist, there is no eternal judgment. Because it's too hard. So are they right? There is no eternal judgment? Well, if we look at the words of Yeshua, it would seem that there is a Gehenna, and it would seem that it's much the same as the Gehenna of his day, but as I said, it lasts a little bit longer. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go to hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now Yeshua seems to indicate that even the maggots Even the maggots that eat the dead, the maggots don't die. And the fire never goes out. 
Daniel says something about the place in chapter 12. He says, multitudes asleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting shame and everlasting contempt. He tells us there are going to be those who are going to wake up to everlasting contempt. And Shaul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 says, they will be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. He says there's an everlasting destruction. And if you look at that word there, it means death, the destruction of the flesh, an everlasting destruction of the flesh. So let's put it this way. Whatever you think, whether you think it's everlasting fire, whether you think it's everlasting separation from God, one thing is for sure, it's everlasting. And you only have this life to avoid it, that's all. Another thing, don't let anyone tell you that, that, that uh, you just exist. And at the end of this life, you just go to sleep and that's that, Right? Don't let anybody ever tell you that because the soul God gave you is an everlasting soul. The only thing that's up for grabs is what's going to happen to it in the everlasting. Why do we see such a de-emphasis on hell? Well, it's not popular. It's not popular to think that this God of love is going to send his people to such a place. And let me tell you, the truth is that he does have too much love to send someone to, the, to such a place. That's why he gives us this life to make our choice where we're going to go. It's our choice. We choose this day who we'll serve. And so Yeshua says, if you continue on this path you've chosen, how will you escape this judgment? You see, he wants us to escape. And he, so he says this in the next verse, Therefore I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. However, some of them you'll kill and crucify. Others you'll flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. Now, you know, this is an amazing statement. When you really look at it, I think, I know I've read by it so many times, but it's really an amazing statement because if you look to the Bible, you're going to find that the one who sent prophets to the people was Yudhevavhe, God, the Lord. Listen to what is said of the call of Isaiah, chapter 6 and verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go tell this people. The Lord, Yudhevavhe, sent Isaiah to the people. It was he who sent Jeremiah. It was he who sent Daniel and Zechariah. Listen to Zechariah 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berkiah, the son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, tell the people. And finally, in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord says this about the prophets. In chapter 7, verse 25 and 26. From the time your forefathers left Egypt until now, day after day and again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets. But they did not listen 
to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their forefathers. So what I want you to see is the fact that no one can send a prophet of, except God. At least if it's a true prophet. But here Yeshua says, therefore I'm sending you prophets, wise men, and teachers. Powerful words and words that show the oneness of Yeshua and the Father. You know, I really feel uneasy for those who take away from the stature, stature of Messiah. I fear for those who say he's just a man. Because I can tell you now, no man could make a statement like this. This speaks of the divine nature of the Messiah, the high position of Messiah, that it could be he who would send prophets. Again, to show their hypocrisy of the statement that they would not have taken part in the killing of the prophets, he tells them flat out, some of them you'll kill. Some of them you'll crucify and others you'll flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And sure enough, it happened. They rejected Messiah and they continued in their rejection. And the fact is, the book of Acts records a Pharisee doing exactly what Yeshua said in this passage until he meets the Savior and repents. Shaul becomes one of the sent ones of Yeshua. And we read this of him, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, he says, I have worked much harder. I've been in prison frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was stoned. We all know that many of these sent ones by Yeshua were killed. James, Peter, Shaul, and we could go on because not many of those disciples escaped death now listen to what he says next because of because of this he says this in 35 and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth from the blood of the righteous abel to the blood of zechariah son of barakiah whom you murdered between the temple and the altar i tell you the truth all this will come upon this generation you see even though they even though warned, even though they've been warned, they will fill up the measure of their fathers. You see, I want to tell you something. If you continue in the sin of your father and you add to the measure of that sin as well, you live up to and you live the same lives of your father, then upon you comes not only your sin, but theirs as well, and vice versa, because they were your teachers. And so Yeshua says, I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. And he's telling us that because the people had followed their leaders. And that is the next prophetic judgment that will come upon the nation. And think about it. If this is the judgment that we're going to speak of that's going to come upon the nation, think about this. Think about the judgment that's going to come upon the leaders that he's speaking about. How much greater judgment will come upon them because the leaders are always judged more harshly. So he says this in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Another amazing statement when you really think about this. Listen to what Yeshua, how Yeshua speaks of himself. How long I've wanted to gather your children 
as a hen gathers her chicks. If Yeshua were a man, if Yeshua were only born into this world in the first century, how could he say such a thing? The problem is Messiah Yeshua is not just a man. He was not just born into existence in the first century, but it was he who longed to gather the children in the days of Isaiah. It was he who longed to gather his children in the days of Jeremiah as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. If we go to the book of Ruth, we get the full impact of this. Ruth chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, proselytes, those from the nations who came to Israel, were said to have come under the wings of the Shekinah, the dwelling presence of God. And it was based on this verse. Well, now, Yeshua in this chapter has just put himself in that same position with the children of Israel. How long? How long I've longed to gather you under my wings, but you were not willing. We spoke of hell above and how people view it as a place God condemns people to. And it makes God look bad in a humanistic mindset, so it should not be spoken of any longer. Let's not talk about that any longer. It's not popular. It makes people worry. But look at the words of Yeshua prior to the judgment of Jerusalem because these are the words of a loving father and he says I wanted to gather you to love you to protect you to give you refuge but you were not willing you see here's what the Lord is going to say to all those humanist to all this humanistic nonsense on that day he's going to say this because he said it before Isaiah chapter 65 verse 2 All day long, I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. A people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of unclean meat who say, keep away, don't come near me, I am too sacred for you. Such people are smoking my nostrils of fire that keeps burning all day. So yes, I fear for those who buy into the no hell teaching, to those who humanize God, who portray God as having their corrupt moral values. Because I fear for those, I fear for those who teach those things more than them, more than the ones who listen. Because God is a loving God and he's held out his hand all day to everyone who will take hold and be saved because we have filled, all filled the measure of our father's sin. And there is a fire that's burning. So take hold of the hand that's been held out all day long. The right hand of God, the Messiah Yeshua, and be saved. And finally, he speaks of the final judgment 
of this, what's going to happen. And finally, look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so he speaks of the judgment that's going to come in a mere 40 years, but he also includes a promise that he will return only when the Jewish people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So here's the deal. Um, get you ready for next week. Okay, some of you, do you, are some of you, anybody read along during the week? Get prepared a little bit before the sermon? Well, if you do that, we're going to skip the next two chapters, chapter uh, 24 and 25, where Yeshua speaks of the end of days. And we're going to go on to chapter 26, where it starts, keeps on recounting the last week of his life. We'll go back to chapters 25 and 26 when we get to the fall festivals, which teach on the end of days. All right? So if you're reading along ahead, skip on down to chapter 26.